Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Seen this many cameras since we signed Tebow. For me, this is a day of um, you know gratitude and celebration. It's with um, there's so many fond memories and and uh, thoughts that I you know think about the Patriots and, and I'll always be a Patriot. I look forward to coming back here, uh, but at this time, uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna move on, and uh, I look forward, excited for the future. Coach Belichick will forever be celebrated as a legendary sports icon here in New England, and I believe go in as a pro football Hall of Famer on the first ballot. Why? Because he is the greatest coach of all times. It'll be difficult to see him in a cutoff hoodie on the sideline, but I will always continue to wish him continued success except when he's playing our beloved Patriots. Well, they pulled it off. I wasn't sure they would. I wasn't sure they could. An amicable split that truly seems to be mutual, that seems to be as happy as Bill Belichick could ever be, and that results in Belichick walking away and going wherever he wants to go next without any fights, without any acrimony, without any of the stuff that would have been far more interesting, frankly, than what we saw yesterday. It would have been a lot more interesting if Bill Belichick had said what Pete Carroll said the other day. He said, it's not mutual. They fired me. But he didn't say it. And, and that's that, Peter. After 24 years, Bill Belichick, head coach of the New England Patriots, Robert Kraft, owner of the Patriots, tell the media together that Belichick is moving on. We knew it was coming, but still, there's something about the finality of it that really was jarring, even though we were fully prepared for it. I actually think it is mutual, Mike, because Bill Belichick is a pragmatist. He saw the end of the line. He knew that on his roster in New England, Uh, He didn't have a quarterback. He knew 
that he had left this team in horrendous shape on off- on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, he had drafted terribly. You know, between 2014 and 2020, he did not have a single player picked in the first three rounds that the organization then gave a second contract to. That is historically bad drafting. So Bill Belichick basically got out while the getting was good. If he had coached there one more year and gone 3-14, and 14, tell me, would the Arthur Blanks of the world be lined up to hire a 73-year-old man in 2025? I don't think so. At least now he gets out of there with the vast majority of his dignity and football acumen intact, and he gets to go somewhere else. I presume he's going to get a job. And in my opinion, it's best, far better for the Patriots than trying to uh, do something just so that Bill Belichick could break the all-time record for coaching victories in New England. Because think of it, Mike. People say, well, geez, he only needs 15. And what I say is, okay, you only need 15. You pretty sure you're going to get that in the next two years? I'm not. So he gets to go somewhere else. And I think, as you think, Mike, that it's probably for the best for all parties that this amicable divorce happens. One of the more fascinating moments yesterday came when Robert Kraft was meeting with reporters separately. Belichick and Kraft took no questions. They made their statements and they exited stage left. I guess it would have been for them. Kraft came back a couple of hours later. And as to this idea that was floated by Belichick on Monday of taking less power, Shereen Williams had a great observation on Tuesday. I viewed it as an effort by Belichick to make it harder for Kraft to remove the Band-Aid. If Belichick is saying, oh, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. Shereen sees it as a message to other teams that he's not going to walk through the door insisting that he be in charge. Kraft explained that it was gradual, that Belichick gained full control over the team over time. And it wasn't until after their third Super Bowl win that Belichick was fully in charge. And the problem now with clawing back some of that power, it creates confusion in the building. You've got the guy who previously ran everything answering to someone else. I'm reminded of what happened with Mike Holmgren in Seattle. Remember when they brought in a GM and took away his personnel power? That just doesn't work. You can say, we're going to make it work. But when the guy who's used to doing it his way all of a sudden has to do it with the input of someone else who has more power over the roster than he did, that just sets the stage for a big, ugly mess. There's no way it would have worked. And I applaud Kraft for saying what was totally pragmatic. Because I kept hearing this week, well, you know, Belichick could give up the power and bring in a real general manager and fire his entire offensive staff and do this and everything. I mean, you know, enough, enough. It just, first of all, I mean, might it have worked? 10% chance, maybe. But Mike, in the NFL, nothing works without a quarterback. I don't care. We can talk about this till we're blue in the face. Doesn't matter. Nobody wins in the NFL without a quarterback. And so I look at this and say, this is Robert Kraft saying, 
we're going to get a traditional structure. We're going to get a general manager who runs the draft, and we're going to get a quarterback who coaches the team, or a coach who coaches the team, and we're going to get a new quarterback. Now, it's a long uphill climb without any question. But if you're Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft, Mike, you have to feel today, today is the first day of the rest of our lives, and we're being <laughs> happy about it. And, and I think they are. I think they are. Robert Kraft, as he said yesterday, he is a sentimental guy. And this is what I was told about what was going to happen, that the only way it could get fixed if the sentimentalist in Robert Kraft took over, you know, and basically said, oh, come on, I want Bill to break the record here. I want him to retire a Patriot. That's the right thing. It probably is, quote, the right thing, end quote. But there's also an old saying, time waits for no one. Our time is all it's going to come for all of us. It's going to come for me, going to come for you. It's going to come for every coach in the NFL. Came for Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, and Bill Belichick in a 24, in a 17-hour period this week. One of the most amazing things, <clears throat> I think, in football history is that in 17 hours, three, two particularly, and then Pete Carroll, obviously one of the great coaches, and, and they're all gone, and it's a great point to make. These three men, all in their 70s, all who would have to coach next year at either 73 or 72, are all gone, and all born within seven months of each other in the Hoover administration. And, you know, so time marches on, and... And I agree with every, I talked to Rodney Harrison about this yesterday. He goes, I am so happy that Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft stood there together because that's the way it should be. This shouldn't be a time of guys being ticked off at each other. This should be a time to celebrate what they did. And I have no idea if Belichick had to be drag kicking and screaming into that event yesterday. I kind of doubt he did. He understands life and he understands football. And he knows that he would have looked extremely small if he didn't show up yesterday and say thanks for the memories. When he realizes he is playing to a new audience of owners who may be hiring him, and frankly, the fans of the various teams that will be interested in Bill Belichick might not be as interested in Bill Belichick. We've done some very unscientific polling via the always reliable social media about how excited fans would be about Bill Belichick taking over their team. And I did a very generic question a couple of months ago. If your team is looking for a coach in the next cycle, do you want Bill Belichick? And it was an overwhelming no. So it's already going to be not an easy sell. It's not as automatic as it would have been five years ago. Five years ago, it's a no-brainer. Anybody that can get Bill Belichick wants him. Fans, media, everyone. Now, okay, well, you got to do it the right way. You got to put the guardrails on. You got to have a roster already in place. Forget about shopping for the groceries to cook the meal. You want to go to a place with a fully stocked kitchen, so all he does is coach the team that's there. That wouldn't have been an issue five years ago. And so I think he recognizes he can't be perceived as storming out angrily curmudgeonly and 
in a way that would not be appealing at all to the next owner that's got to work with him. Another thing that happened yesterday, the closest thing to, I think, any criticism, and it was indirect, but it's when Kraft said this, we all need checks and balances in our life. We need what I say, and I call it, we need Dr. No's around us, people to protect us from ourselves. And see, Belichick didn't have that. And it's, it's possible that if Kraft didn't have that, he wouldn't have removed the Band-Aid. It could be that his own Dr. No was his son, Jonathan, who kept him on track saying, we ha- it's time, it's time. I know you're feeling sentimental. I know a lot's happened in 24 years. You're a fan of the team. You want a perfect ending. There is no perfect ending. It's time, it's time, it's time. But this idea that there, there wasn't an appropriate check or balance against Bill Belichick, they allowed that situation to manifest itself because they were winning. The problem is you remove the winning and you have an organization that teeters on the edge, Peter, of becoming dysfunctional. You know, I thought yesterday when I was watching this, I thought when I look back at, you know, sort of the greatness of this franchise, one of the things I'll always think of is essentially you know, sort of the line of demarcation in how the Patriots drafted. And I'm not saying they didn't draft anybody good uh, in the second half of the Belichick reign, but I think that he basically, once he consolidated everything and didn't really have anybody in the organization who could push back on him. I'll give you an example. I I think it started to go downhill, although very gradually. Um, I think it started around 2011, 2012, right in there, when I remember one year they drafted a cornerback, an oft-injured cornerback from Virginia named Ross I. Dowling uh, in the second round in in, uh, 2011. And, And again, and I stress, He made some good draft choices after this. But to me, when I heard this story, I started to think, well, geez, he better be a genius if things like this keep happening. He he didn't tell a soul he was taking Ross I. Dowling. And, I mean, I'm sure he told Kraft or, or whatever, but the scouts in that organization did not know when Ross I. Dowling was picked. They They heard it over the the loudspeaker or on TV or whatever. And they said, wow, we took Ross I. Dowling. And, and that, to me, you know, not having a clue with people in the organization who honestly should have a clue. There should be arguments about this and, and all this. That, to me, you know, and I'm sure that has, that has risen and that has increased over the last few years. To me, I think that is one of the things that kind of led to where we are today, that Bill Belichick was the great and powerful Oz, and he didn't have a, whoever it is, a Pioli, or, or even in the last couple of years, a Casario, you know, to push back. I have no idea if Casario did. I know Pioli did. But, so I, I just think now, when you look at this, signs of problems were coming. And in today's football in the modern football, 
You cannot be a totally do-it-all guy. You just can't. And Bill Belichick tried to be that. And if they tried to take it back, as you said, Mike, and as Kraft said yesterday, it just wouldn't have worked. What happened yesterday was far and away the best thing for everybody concerned. And I think that that obsession with control and power and ultimately secrecy, it's deep-rooted. He grew up on the campus of the Naval Academy. There's always been that military connection to football, even when you aren't at a military academy. And I think one of the problems, as the game continued to evolve and grow and innovate from a personnel standpoint, he just didn't trust enough people. And and I think plain and simple, nobody knew it was Ross I. Dowling because, and Chris has explained this from his time working there, nobody knows anything. He doesn't want anybody to know anything because he doesn't trust that someone's going to yeah. run their mouth. Anonymous sources talking to reporters, who's texting whom, who's calling whom. He doesn't want to have to worry about that. This is one of the reasons why two of his kids work there. There are a lot of reasons why nepotism happens in coaching staffs. But one of them is if you can't trust your kids, you can't trust anybody. And you got to trust somebody, so you may as well trust your kids. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And look, Mike, the other thing about this is, and I'm not saying that, you know, you, you, you have to trust X number of people in your organization or, or talk to people about such and such. But there comes a time when you believe that, and even if you are a little bit humble about it, there comes a time when you believe that you're the great and powerful Oz. And I think Bill came to believe that. And why wouldn't he? He won six Super Bowls with the 199th pick in the draft as his quarterback. Why wouldn't he think I'm smarter than everybody else? And and honestly, you know, there aren't many times when I would really argue that he wasn't the smartest guy in the room. I would just say over the last, most of the last decade, overall, his drafts are embarrassing. They're embarrassing. Mike, listen to 2014. First round pick, Dominique Easley. 2015, first round pick, Malcolm Brown. 2016, first round pick, Cyrus Jones. I'm sorry, first pick, Cyrus Jones. 2017, first overall pick, but in the third round, 
Derek Rivers. 2018, first-round pick, Isaiah Wynn. 2019, first-round pick, Nkeel Harry. And then Kyle Duggar, who's been a pretty good player, 2020. Then Mac Jones in 2021. I don't want to sound crass about this, but Mac Jones might have been a good quarterback. Can you imagine Mac Jones playing for Kyle Shanahan versus playing for Bill Belichick, uh, you know, and the cast of thousands who coached him after Josh McDaniel left after his rookie year? I, I It just, this needed to happen. In some ways, it might have been a year overdue, but it needed to happen. And before things really went off the rails, it was embarrassing enough this year. For a Bill Belichick team to be nine games under 500, that is embarrassing. So, you know, before it would get worse, because I think it would have, you know, time to go. You mentioned to kill Harry. The Patriots took him in round one of 2019 with Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, and A.J. Brown still on the board. And as it relates to Mac Jones, this is something I mentioned last weekend on Football Night in America, and I think this is a real factor in the disintegration of the relationship. The idea, and this gets back to the hubris you were speaking of, when you're changing the name of your boat every year because you keep winning another Super Bowl ring, you get to the point where you think you know what you're doing. I mean, he was in a salary cap free agency era, the only one to crack the code and to be as dominant. And even though it tailed off the last five years, six Super Bowl wins in 25 years, in 24 years, that's 25 percent success rate in a league of 32 teams. Are you kidding me? So I could see why he'd feel that way. And and that's why he thought it was a good idea to make Matt Patricia the offensive coordinator. And I remember sitting right here saying, if anyone else was doing this, we would think they had lost their damn mind. And what happened? It was a disaster. And I think that, and as you said, Peter, maybe it was a year overdue. Maybe it should have happened last year after the Matt Patricia experiment, unchecked, with no one around to tell him he shouldn't do it. And if anyone above him just raised the question, you know, he's going to roll his eyes. You know how he is. Roll his eyes and harumph. No one, he's not going to listen to anybody at this point. I know what I'm doing. He's a great coach. So what if he's only been on the defensive side of the ball his whole career? I'll flip him over, and he'll be a great offensive coordinator. And it was a disaster. And what it, you got a guy who was a pro bowler, and I know the pro bowl doesn't mean anything because they go three guys and then a fourth guy, then a fifth guy. But he was a pro bowler as a rookie, and there was regression last year. And I think it also fractured the relationship between player and team to the point where who knows what they're going to be able to do with Mac Jones going forward. And, and that gets back to a point I always make. That first stop on a quarterback's NFL career is so influential in whether or not he's going to be good or bad. You can put him with one team, and he'll be great. You put him in with another team, and it's a disaster. And it started great, but it became a disaster in New England. And that was hastened by Matt Patricia being given the offensive coordinator job by Bill Belichick. And when he got that job, Mike, there's it, it, that, I, I mean, look, there are about five lines of demarcation. But to me, the most important player on your team, in your organization, I mean, the Patriots forced, forced 
you know, their young quarterback, Mac Jones, to go out and seek advice, thoughts, help from people outside his outside the building, which reportedly really ticked off Bill Belichick. And the reason that he had to look elsewhere is because he had amateurs coaching him. And, you know, that's, it's sad to say that, but he did. History shows that he did. And to me, the end of Mac Jones in New England, or at least the end of him as anything but a guy who will enter 2024 with a law as a long shot competitor for the starting job at quarterback. Uh, they've got to either draft somebody high or bring somebody in, whatever. But the end was the absolutely totally embarrassing throw that he made in Germany at the end of the game against the Colts that essentially cost them a good chance to win the game. And I mean, just a, a brain lock kind of interception that that just has to make him just sick looking at and thinking about but and that but that was a long time coming that's in mid-year of year three of mac jones and that throw right there in that game really said to me mac jones is a ruined quarterback and he shouldn't have been a ruined quarterback if he had either Josh McDaniels for the full tenure there, or if he had a really good quarterback coach in year two, he would have continued to progress. I think it's not smart to blame Bill O'Brien for Mac Jones's downfall. He inherited a you know an eighty percent ruined player. So you know you try to scotch tape him and put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but it was too late. So, I don't know. You know, you can look at a lot of reasons why this whole thing went off the rails, but the Mac Jones experiment is a huge part of it. And you mentioned the Germany game. Based on the things Robert Kraft said in advance of that game, that was a much more important contest than the average random regular season game. And and they, they lost it. And our friend and colleague Tom Curran had since pointed out that that was the moment that Kraft had the realization it was time to move on. There was still an opportunity. If they had finished hot, he would have changed his mind. But that was really the key. That was the big game. That was the closest thing to a Super Bowl that the Patriots have been in since Super Bowl 53. Now, one of the narratives that popped up, because we've seen it happen before, it doesn't happen as often as it should, but this possibility of Bill Belichick being traded to another team. As we got closer and closer to the end of the season, Peter, it became more and more clear to me that just wasn't going to happen. It wasn't realistic. A lot of people were talking about it. It isn't going to happen, in large part because Bill Belichick has no reason to go along with it. Why would you agree to a deal that makes it harder for you in your next stop to be successful because your next team had to give up draft picks to get you? Bob Kraft was asked about that angle yesterday, specifically if he gave any consideration to trading Bill Belichick, here's what Kraft had to say. You know, I'm fortunate um, in our family, our businesses are all private. And so we try to create a culture and develop an environment where people want to stay and stay long term. And yeah, I guess 
if you look at this as a transaction, you know, he he is so valuable and how we could extract something. I I didn't think that was right. I didn't think it was right for Tom Brady who gave us 20 years and I and I don't think it's right for Bill that I think each of them earn the right to be in a position where they should do what's right for us given what they have done for this franchise. So some people might criticize me for not you know, extracting as much value, and I understand that. But we just try to do what we think is right for the proper values and ability to operate and try to get people who want to come and feel that we're going to treat them fairly. And that's the curious bookend to how Belichick got there in the first place because he had the awkward exit with the Jets, writing on a napkin, I resign as HC of the NYJ. Patriots swoop in. They work out a deal for compensation. The Jets get value. And Belichick never even coached a game for them. But I think Kraft is right. If he would have even tried to engineer this, it would have set the stage for a far more hostile separation. They wouldn't have had the joint press conference yesterday. There would have been a sense that they're squatting on Bill Belichick and what's really going to happen. And they're going to start their coaching search late, even though we're going to talk about in a second. They may already have their coaching search done. Who knows? But it just wouldn't have been the way to have the kind of separation that Robert Kraft envisioned. You're not going to have a happy ending or anything close to it if you treat it like a transaction and if you try to work something out where you get a first-round pick or a second-round pick. It just was never going to work. And kudos to Kraft for understanding that, for having the instincts to realize it wasn't going to work. Let's not even try it. Here's the problem. Everybody always talks about these trades for coaches. I mean, let's, let's be a little realistic about this. The logistics of those things don't fit on January 10th or or whatever day this happened. They don't fit because, first of all, you can't offload a coach and say, okay, we're firing Bill Belichick or we're amicably, amicably divorcing Bill Belichick. But if you want him, you got to come and pay something for him. What team would be so foolish as to say that. And even if you say, hey, Bill, Bill, let's just say we're having meetings for the next three weeks before we decide <laughs> what we're going to do. And then we're going to be in touch with every team to see if they're interested. And then we're going to see if we can get a two for you. I mean, it's insane. It doesn't work. It wouldn't have worked in Tennessee with Mike Vrabel. He wouldn't have played ball. Uh, and certainly Bill Belichick, all he's done for that organization, I think he would have told Robert Kraft to go fry ice. He said, I'm not going along Whoa, with this. I thought you were just going to say something else there. there. To. Oh, <laughs> oh, what? you scared me, Peter. What? When you said go no. fry ice, there's another very, no. very famous saying that this go and it starts, the second word starts with an F, and I was just, man. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, I no. thought Chris Sims was on today for a second. But, but here's um, the point. You know, it, go ahead. I, I'll, 
I'll just say I'll just say one last thing. Let me say one last thing about this. That the NFL has put in place conveniently for the NFL a system where it's exceedingly hard to trade a coach while at the same time trying to move on from that coach. Yeah. It's I mean tell me how possibly could you have done this knowing that you know, you can't really talk to coaches now until whatever the date is, coaches of teams who are still playing. So, you know, I just think the logistics simply do not work, except in an occasion like with Sean Payton. He was out of work for a year. He had a year left on his contract, or maybe two, I forget. And he, and the, the Saints said all along, you've got to play ball with us. Because if Sean Payton is going to coach again, we're going to need compensation for him. And Sean Payton went along with that. He was okay with that. So my point is, it was never realistic to think that a team like Tennessee or New England could get compensation for their coach. If a trade's going to happen, it needs to be something that is natural and organic and unexpected. For example, if one of these many teams that is looking for a coach after searching for multiple weeks, decides to pick up the phone and call Art Rooney and say, we'll offer you two ones, two twos, and $8 million in cash for Mike Tomlin, and Rooney takes it, like Al Davis did when John Gruden became coach of the Buccaneers in 2002. It can't feel engineered. It can't feel forced. It has to just happen. Or coach walks away with time left on his contract, gets back in, then it's more obvious we still have lingering contractual rights. We need to work out a deal. All right, we got a lot to cover still in this segment. I want to move on quickly to what's next for the Patriots. And Ian Rappaport mentioned yesterday that Gerard Mayo, in his contract, has a succession clause, and it was previously negotiated, and it was filed with the league. And we've seen these in the past. Jim Mora, the younger, with the Seahawks in 2009. Jim Caldwell with the Colts in 2009. Eric DaCosta with the Ravens in 2018. This has all worked out in advance. It circumvents the Rooney rule. It's all done contractually, and you just flip the switch. Well, the problem here is they might not flip the switch. They might have to write a big check to Gerard Mayo. That's why there was equivocation in the reporting from Rappaport, because it should be a no-brainer, Peter. It should be. We've already got the paperwork. Gerard Mayo's an ex-coach. Easy. No big deal. No search. Here we go. The equivocation comes from the fact that Mike Vrabel's available, I believe. And they might have to, and someone explained this to me last night, it depends on the contract. They, they might have to write a very large check to Gerard Mayo in order to pivot away from this deal that was already in place that would have allowed them to just hand the whistle to Gerard Mayo. I guess I look at it this way. Um, And I'm not privy to why they did that with Gerard Mayo. Clearly, the inference is that they didn't want him going elsewhere and taking a defensive coordinator job elsewhere which who knows, he might have gotten one. But my whole point about this is unless you see something in Gerard Mayo that is beyond special, I don't know why you would tie your future to Gerard Mayo knowing that you might feel differently on the day that Bill Belichick walks off campus. 
And if I were the Patriots right now, to not look into a lot of people who are there on the street right now, you know, starting obviously with Mike Vrabel. And and look, you know, it, Mike, I, I just look at modern football right now. And the only thing I want to know from Mike Vrabel and Gerard Mayo and whoever else that the Crafts interview, I want to know, what's your plan for a quarterback? Do you look at our draft position this year and say, absolutely unequivocally, we are going to take the best quarterback available? Even if, for instance, Marvin Harrison Jr. is on the board? I mean, how do you, what's your quarterback plan? And that's why, to me, I want to make sure that I look at every option available to me and don't just say, well, two years ago or however long ago it was, we said we like Gerard Mayo, we're into Gerard Mayo, we're giving him the job, or it's Vrabel. You better have a plan at the quarterback position. And, and don't just tell me, ah, we'll worry about that in the next couple of months. No, I don't want to hear that. I want to know what the plan for quarterback is right now because not having a quarterback has ruined your last four seasons. And you mentioned Mayo's contract. There was some vague announcements and reporting about Mayo a year or so ago, and I agree with you. I think they were trying to keep him there, and they wanted to have the ability, the option. That's what they purchased. They purchased an option to immediately make Gerard Mayo the head coach of the team. And they may be at the point where they recognize a hard reset is necessary, so they'll have to give him, and he'll be compensated for this. There'll be terms in the contract. The league took <coughs> yesterday. It's still a legitimate device to to – have a coach in-house who is already designated to succeed the current coach. You don't have to do a Rooney Rule compliance search with at least two external minority candidates. But there'll be language in the contract. It's between the team and the coach what the reward is for them not exercising essentially the option to make him the head coach. And he could walk away from New England with a nice chunk of money. And I was told there's no offset to it either. He gets that money and he goes somewhere else and he gets paid whatever he gets paid. All right. What's next for Bill Belichick? We've got some DraftKings odds. And the one that that I would definitely not consider placing a single penny on is him not coaching any other team. I think he's landing somewhere. I don't think he takes a year off. There's too many jobs open. And you sit and wait for a year. You don't, as I said yesterday, you don't take a sabbatical at 72. You retire at 72. You keep going. Time's a wasting. You don't have, as you said, the end comes for us all. You're not going to take a year off. You're going to keep going. And Robert Kraft seemed to acknowledge he's going to keep going. And Belichick, in his own sort of hardly say anything at all way, implied he's going to keep going too. So, Peter, where do you think he's going to go? I don't know. I really don't know. But I would just say that. I think of owners and I think of owners who are looking for a way out of the wilderness. And that's why I think that these odds are pretty good. Quite honestly, I actually think they're quite good because to me, the two teams that make the most sense are the Falcons and the chargers. Arthur blank is a desperate man to win now. And I don't think he's thinking about five years from now. 
I think he is thinking about right now. Same thing with Dean Spanos. Dean Spanos has, you know, a fan base that he needs to build up. He needs, I have no idea if he'd do this or not. He needs to put a, fa- a famous face on the billboard on the 405 and the and and I-5 in Southern California. So to me, I think those are the two places where you have sufficiently desperate owners. And Mike, you might say, well, geez, why would Bill Belichick go somewhere where there's no quarterback? I'll tell you what I want to happen. I want Bill Belichick, well, I shouldn't say I want. I think it would be smart to happen. I think the Atlanta Falcons should hire Bill Belichick. And I think in free agency, they should make Kirk Cousins an offer he can't refuse. And if I were the Falcons, I would just say, hey, listen, we are going to go all in for the next two years, maybe three, with Kirk Cousins. We're going to pair him with Bill Belichick. We've got winning players on this defense. We've got a pretty good offensive line. We have really good offensive weapons. We get a good quarterback in here. We're going to win this division next year. So that's exactly what I would do. I would pair him with a good quarterback. And obviously with the Chargers, you've you've got a quarterback in place in Justin Herbert. I don't believe any of those teams is where he's going to go. I don't think he's interested in anything that would require building. I mentioned earlier the old Bill Parcells cliche, if they want me to cook the meal, they should let me shop for the groceries. I think he's going to be looking to go to a place where the kitchen is already stocked with everything he needs. And I think he's going to wait and see what happens this weekend and next weekend because I think he's most likely to coach a team that is currently in the playoffs and that loses. And I will not stop looking at the Cowboys as a destination until Mike McCarthy does what no Cowboys coach has done since 1995, which is deliver that team to the NFC Championship. I've heard about this for weeks. In New England, they've been eyeballing it as a possibility. And when Jerry Jones is asked after the regular season finale against Washington about McCarthy's future and says, we'll take it one playoff game at a time or words to that effect, that's the signal. That's the bat signal. And there's so much out there of Belichick praising over the top Stephen and Jerry Jones. And he has a fully stocked kitchen. He can do some cooking with Micah Parsons and Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb and all the other talented players they've amassed down there at a time when Bill Belichick can't generally manage his way out of a paper bag. Look at what the Cowboys have put together by way of their personnel acquisitions. So I'd watch them. I'd watch the Eagles because I don't know what they're going to do if they lose on Monday night. That is a crap show right now in Philly. And Peter, the other thing I'd watch, the other thing I'd keep my eye on, because there's only one Patrick Mahomes in the NFL the last time I checked. I want to make sure Andy Reid doesn't retire after this season before I take another job. Uh, yeah, I, I can't see Reid leaving this year. I just want to be knows? sure. I don't know. I just want to be um, sure. I just want to yeah, be sure. I, I understand. And Mike, you're absolutely right. I wouldn't do any I wouldn't do anything if I were Belichick till probably after the divisional round. So and you say why the divisional round? Well, because then I mean even if Dallas beats Green Bay, let's say they lose ugly to Team X in 
the divisional round, who knows? And I, I don't know. I first raised this as a possibility, not necessarily that I, and I don't know anything. I don't know anything other than, other than <clears throat> I know that one of Bill Belichick's mentors in this sport is Bill Parcells. And people might say, oh, Belichick would never go work for Jerry Jones. Are you kidding me? That's what everybody said about Bill, Bill Parcells. Then he walked into Jerry Jones's air cowboy jet uh, on the taxiway at, or on the uh, whatever at Teterboro, at Teterboro Airport in New Jersey. And two hours later, he gets out and Jerry's convinced him to come and coach his team. This is perfect. And, and by the way, and Bill Parcells will tell you that he really liked working for Jerry Jones. And I, I don't know. I, you might say, well, geez, why would he say that? I don't know why I'd say that. Maybe he actually did like working for Jerry Jones because I can tell you he did like it. And so I think it's a great and logical thing to say. And I agree with you. I think Philadelphia is the wild card in all this. How can, in the last two weeks, you not look at that team after the coach basically having a fire drill each of the last two weeks before the Arizona game, you know, the the crucial game, before the game at the Giants, crucial game, who knows, Dallas might lose at Washington, but whatever. And the team in neither situation coming out and playing anywhere near a good football game. Being down to the Giants 24-0 at halftime? I mean, I agree with you, Mike, but of the teams that are out there right now, I'm just telling you, if you put Kirk Cousins on the Atlanta Falcons right now and Bill Belichick coached them, they'd be be an 11-win team next year. Easy. One last thing I'll say before we break, and this Jerry Jones dynamic, go back and look at the quotes from Bill Belichick when they got ready to play the Cowboys this year. Over-the-top, effusive, gratuitous praise and love for Jerry Jones and Steven and what they've amassed by way of talent in Dallas. And also, as you said, Bill Parcells was able to work with Jerry Jones. The counter to that, and this goes to your Atlanta theory, I ain't so sure Bill Belichick's going to want to work with Rich McKay. we got to do a little research on Tampa Bay 2002. Bill, Bell, Bill Parcells about to take that job. Rich McKay, the GM there. Then Bill Parcells walks away. Something to look at before we tie Bill Belichick to the Atlanta Falcons. And we know Rich McKay is tied to Arthur Blank. He was sitting there at his elbow on Monday when they did a 100-minute press conference. We do have to take a break. Peter, I, I, I know you probably got some thoughts about that, but i got to take a break. Don't forget on DraftKings Sportsbook this playoffs, new NF, a new. let me try that again. Don't forget on DraftKings Sportsbook, this NFL playoffs, new customers can bet $5 and pocket $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Download the app and use the promo code PFTLive when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. And please bet responsibly. When we return, we'll look at the AFC Super Wildcard Games that start tomorrow on NBC. We'll be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 